So, good morning, church. This section of scripture, if you want to follow along, is Acts 7, starting in verse 51, and finishing in chapter 8, verse 4. I believe this is about eight years after Christ died on the cross. And uh, this is Luke's uh, first introduction, really, of Saul. You stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. You must forever resist the Holy Spirit. That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation, and they shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Saul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Thanks for bringing the word today, Keith. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the example of Stephen, and I pray that you open the eyes and ears of our hearts, Lord, that we would not be deaf to hear, that we would not resist the Holy Spirit, but that we would receive a message of life from your word today. pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, we're introducing to you a new friend named Stephen. Last week, we looked at Barnabas. And Barnabas was known as being a good guy. And they even said that. He was a good man, full of encouragement to those he came in contact with, leaving a wake of encouragement wherever he went. And Stephen gets the reputation of being the first martyr. He's willing to suffer for this thing. And if we go to this next slide here, we're in this portrait of a servant series between now and Christmas. His acts takes about a chapter each 
highlighting examples of what does it mean to be part of a church? It doesn't mean sitting in a pew. (laughs) I mean, the first part of Acts talks about the fellowship as they gathered together. It talked about the teaching that they were committed to. It talked about their prayer lives. But being part of the church in these examples, as they go out and share, it means being willing to suffer. And that's something that a Western culture loves to take pills for, therapy. I don't want to suffer. <laughs> we, we, we fear it. We run from it. And I'm not saying that we just go seek it out. But I'm saying that there's a biblical perspective here towards suffering that I think we can get today. So here's Stephen. You'll notice that the picture looks a lot like Barnabas from last week. Uh, I looked long and hard. I, I'm not finding the photograph of Stephen. But... Luke, as an author, in his way, gives us a photograph of what this man looks like. Now, I'm going to go to the next slide here. You'll notice that Stephen did not say any of these things, okay, in the text. Um, He did not complain about his runny nose, (laughs) all right? They actually did some research about first world problems. They gave a list, and the top one was runny nose, People are most annoyed by their runny nose. Um, and I'm, I'm just putting this in context because, like last week, we had, we had a friend from India share, okay, about what the book of Acts meant to their church in India. And for them to read a passage like Stephen, they probably think to themselves, well, yeah, that was, our previ- that was the story of our previous pastor. I mean, that's real life. And we miss out on that sometimes here in the United States when we can't get the cookie into the milk and it just frustrates us, right? I mean, for some reason, that's suffering for us. And it just, it's a reminder that we have no idea what suffering is sometimes. Here's some other ones from a, from a list that I liked. It was a call from an unknown number. Um, I got that from yesterday. It said, Beijing, China is calling you. And I was with my family. I said, I'm not going to take that. <laughs> All right. Will you go back a slide quick? Sorry. Uh, so there ones was being put on hold when you call a, a company and you have to wait. That's tough. Um, your Wi-Fi goes out at your house. That happened last week for us. Um, we realized we couldn't watch our show that we wanted to watch through our laptop. <laughs> Suffering, Okay. Uh, losing your phone or losing your phone charger. I lost my phone charger this last week. Now, what am I going to do? Well, the next gas station I was at, there they were. Phone chargers. I was just fine. Um, when your online shopping doesn't come in time, okay, that's a first world problem, having a long line of coffee. And here's my very favorite, is when the pizza box doesn't fit in the fridge. <laughs> All right, so... Yeah, it's meant to get some chuckles, all right? Now, at the same time, I know a lot of you are facing some very serious things. And we can go to this next slide. And I've had three or four conversations this last week of people um, in our church that they're suffering. And as a young pastor, I'm still learning how to digest that. Is that fair to say? <laughs> when people are sharing some of their darkest suffering, that takes a while for me to digest. I remember on our vacation here just a couple of weeks ago, we were driving through Wisconsin, and 
just letting things catch up with me. And, and um, I thought of one, one situation. I just started crying in the car. And, and it was from about a year ago. But it just caught up with me. And just, Lord, there's pain there. There's suffering. What, what do I do with that? And the beauty is that the Bible gives us a picture of what to do with that. It has answers for that kind of stuff. It has answers how to deal with that suffering from the past. We don't want to think about, about that suffering we're in right now. And it gives us answers about the suffering that's on the horizon. And I'm so challenged by Stephen. In some ways, I feel so unlike him. <laughs> that's what's bugged me all week. Who is this guy? And how did he get to where he got? Here's a, here's a great quote. It's from 1938, the year before World War II. Franklin D. Roosevelt says that a smooth sea never makes a skilled sailor. So the idea of that is that soft seas often make soft sailors. Tough seas make tough sailors. And a vision I have for our church is that we would be tough sailors that we could go wherever God wanted us to go. That's my vision for this church. If we do that, God can take us anywhere. So, to our scripture, here's this portrait of Stephen. He's got a reputation in the beginning of Acts that we're going to explore here in the yellow. So, we see that as the Apostles pick some men to help serve. They say, go find seven guys that are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom. So Stephen ends up being one of these seven guys, which means he fits this criteria. He was well-respected. He was known for being full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom. Later on, it says that he was the first listed, Stephen. And Stephen alone gets this parenthesis that he was a man, again, he's full of faith in the Holy Spirit. He's full and filled up. So when life sends him an elbow, what spills out is the Spirit of God. What spills out is wise living and wisdom. What spills out is faith because he's full. This next scripture in it, verse 8. Again, Stephen, a man full of grace and power, right? So when he gets that elbow, what spills out is, is grace and winsomeness and power. He doesn't back down. He's not timid. He's willing to say, yes, the next step, here we go. He performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. These guys were from all over the place, it mentions. And then it says, none of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So we don't have a photograph of what he looks like, but we can kind of see what he looks like, right? And then in verse 13, these lying witnesses, they said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. 
We've even heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. So their main charge is that he's rocking the boat. <laughs> All right? Though he's got something better to offer them. And their main charge is against Moses and the temple. And so Stephen goes into a long speech then. It's about over 50 verses long. It's the longest speech in the book of Acts. And so we'll go to the next slide, please. Oh, right before he gets to that speech, he's, you can tell he's ready to go. He says, at this point, everyone in the high council, they stared at Stephen. Something was strange here because his face became bright as an angel. I don't feel like that sometimes, okay? But he was full. And when it was his time to shine, God did not let him down. I'll make a note too here. They just accused him of not being like Moses. Whereas when Moses was full of the Spirit and face to face with God, what happened to his face? He's shown. And they're going to see evidence, and Stephen sets out to prove that he is not in opposition to the Old Testament, but that this is fulfillment through Jesus Christ. So here, I'll break down here now for you these 50 verses <laughs> by not going through all 50 verses, all right? You can definitely read those on your own time. But I give you an outline in the next slide here. And so Stephen's speech, he follows some other portraits of servants, which is great, just fitting this theme. He starts with Abraham in the start of the nation. He goes to Joseph, then Moses, and then quickly goes to Joshua, David, and Solomon to show the temple being built. But I want to highlight some verses through here. So first, Abraham. We see suffering in each of these people's lives in this speech. And we see God following through. So Abraham, it was predicted to him that his people would go to Egypt and they would suffer for over 400 years. It says that in verse 6. But it says that God made a promise that he will bring them to the land. So we see suffering. We see God fulfilling his promise. God using that. We see with Joseph, Joseph suffered. Okay? Even little cries of suffering. <laughs> All right? God can use that. And so for Joseph, he suffered. It says he was sold as a slave and that there was great misery in the land as the people of God ran out of food. But, verse 10, it says God rescued and delivered him. So here's another portrait of a servant that as he suffered, God used it. Moses, there's a long, long, uh, a large text here given to Moses in 17 through 43. It says that a new king came and exploited and oppressed the people. And these people refused to listen to Moses, though he was sent to save them. But God heard their groans and he came down to rescue them in verse 34 and led them out of Egypt. So Stephen, as he realizes 
He's probably in some hot water right now. He is recounting the faithfulness of these individuals in the Scripture, seeing how God used them and worked through them. And then with Joshua, David, Solomon, he shows, talks about the temple. And what gets everyone so mad is as he gives these stories, the setting of each of these guys, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, it's not even in Israel. So Stephen's showing this thing is bigger than just your nation, guys. And then he talks about the temple. He doesn't even place it right away in Israel. He talks about it, starts out as a tabernacle, and that God is doing something bigger than, than you can see here. Which is true about suffering. He's doing something bigger than you can see. He wants to do something across the world to send ripples everywhere. So, let's re-enter the text now. That was my attempt at a quick snapshot. Okay? And now we go to the finishing of Stephen's speech, which Keith read for us. And he says, You stubborn people. He says, You are heathen. The word there is uncircumcised of heart. So you're holding on to your old selves. You're deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. This next line is what really stuck out to me. He goes, Name one prophet your ancestors did not persecute. List one character in the Bible who did not go through a tough time. Sometimes we hit tough times and we think, Okay, what did I do wrong? What is God doing wrong? Sometimes the answer is neither. Jesus Christ was the perfect person and he suffered because God wanted to use him. Because he prayed a prayer saying, God, use me. Right? We as a church are praying that prayer, God, use me. And he works redemptively. He enters into brokenness and darkness. And then he changes things. And he uses his people, sustains his people in that process to be an instrument of that redemption. And it lists here off Jesus. He says they even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah whom you betrayed and murdered. So the capstone example here is Jesus Christ himself as a suffering servant. Stephen takes great courage remembering that when it's his time to suffer. Verse 40, 40, uh, 53, excuse me. He says, you deliberately disobeyed God's law even though you, you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. They shook their fists at him in rage. Verse 55, so things are heating up, right? But Stephen, he's full of the Holy Spirit, keeping his gaze steadily into heaven. He saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. He's only glancing at his problem, but he is gazing into God. That is where I'm really challenged by Stephen. To say, Rob, Gazing to God. Got a mentor who says, 
Keep first things first, and the second things you fall, will fall into place. First things first is to keep those eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Luke 22, verse 69, when they asked Jesus, are you the Messiah? He says these words. He says, even if I told you, you wouldn't want to hear it. And then he says, but from now on, the Son of Man will be seated in the place of power at God's right hand. This is the same council that crucified Jesus. Stephen knows that. And he recites Jesus' words to them. And that sets them off. <laughs> Watch this next verse, 57. It says that they put their hands over their ears and went, la, 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 la. <laughs> they, couldn't, they couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle it. Emotionally, they were done. Or <laughs> Stephen, emotionally, he is set. His eyes on Jesus, and it's just solid. So they rushed at him, and they dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. His accusers, so the one throwing stones, they took off their coats, and they laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. First time we hear that name. You're going to hear it a lot more. They're basically saying, Saul, hold my jacket while we take out this guy. And Saul approvingly did. Indicates a position of authority and approval as well from Saul here. Verse 59. So they stoned him. And as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Does that sound familiar? When Jesus hung on a cross, suffering for your sin and my sin, he said, Lord Jesus, into your hands I commit my spirit, gazing into God, saying, God, I know this is not the end because you got me. And as he fell to his knees, not because he wanted to pray, but because he's being hit, as he fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Again, sounds a lot like Jesus saying, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. They came to take his life. And yet Stephen had already decided in his mind, I was here to serve. I already gave it to them. Just as Christ gave it to me. And with that, he died, it says. But that's not the end. Okay? I know there's a chapter break, but... Scripture didn't indicate chapter breaks, okay? The story goes on. This is not the end of our friend Stephen. He entered into the gates of heaven. He took that next step closer into the arms of Jesus. I think that's success. We're all going to die. I know we don't like to think about it in Western culture, but we are. Why not go in a way where you go right into the hands of Jesus while serving Him, while sounding just like Him, while acting just like Him, that you might hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. doesn't sound like failure to me. 
yeah, to the end of the American dream, okay? He had to give up the house and boat at that point, but he had something far better, far better. And it's not the end of the church, okay? It's not the end of the church. The ch- those that witnessed this, his friends, they didn't back down from this. If you had a friend that this happened to, someone dies in war for the cause, you don't say, okay, we're done. No, you say, hey, his life meant something. Let's go out and remember Stephen. And it inspired and it emboldened the church. At the end here, it says, all the believers, they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And, and the next verse will show they're faithful. And it's not the end for Saul. You see, God uses this example Probably the first example of this young man named Saul who watched a faithful Stephen get stoned to death. And I bet that bugged Saul. Saying, what was that man full of that allowed him to do that? I think God used that in Saul's life. This next verse in 2, it says, Some devout men, they came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Stephen caused the church to set sail around the world. God used that. God uses suffering just as he used Jesus to bring salvation through Jesus' suffering. And as Stephen remembers before this moment, he says, who's a man or woman God used that didn't include suffering in the Scripture? Every one of them. I'm challenged to have more of that kind of an attitude in my life. An attitude that says, all right, God, use me. Sustain me. My eyes are on you. An attitude that's not disoriented when the suffering comes. Because usually we get disoriented. We say, this is, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Rather than leaning into it, saying that God can make all things right. Amen, church? Amen. Our final slide here. This Saul, we're going to look at him later on. But look at his attitude as he writes some letters to churches later on. Saul gets converted and becomes Paul. And he is sold out for the gospel. And he understands suffering. He says, I want to know Christ. Same way Stephen knew Christ. I want to know God that way. To the point that I can experience that kind of power that raised Jesus from the dead. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death. Here's the thing about union with Christ when we place our faith in him. It's not just that we share in his suffering, but remembering that Christ shared in our suffering. It was ours the whole time. It was for our sin that Jesus died. And as we suffer, Jesus enters into that helping us bear up our cross.
one of the loneliest times of my life in suffering. I had no idea why I was suffering. And I sat alone and in pain, and I wept. And then I envisioned Jesus Christ sitting next to me, weeping with me, with an arm around me. And I trusted the character of God in that moment, saying, I know he's with me. I know that he's hurting alongside of me. I mean, if I can't go take Hosanna to the doctor and give her a shot without crying along with her, how much better is a heavenly father? That's saying, hang in there. And we are the bride of Christ. So whenever you feel a bedside moment, remember that Jesus, our groom that's coming back for us, he's right there. Here's another great scripture. This is a letter that Paul writes to Timothy. So now Paul is an older man. Timothy is the young guy. Whereas earlier, Saul was the young man. But he grew up. He understood that God uses suffering. Now he tells Timothy, who wants to be a servant, he says, Keep a a clear mind in every situation. Do not be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. You see, if we're afraid of suffering, we're not going to obey. Someone told me once, anything, most things in life worth having take some hard work and some suffering, okay? If we live a life just totally avoiding that, we're not going to live the life God wants us to live. So embracing suffering allows us to obey. It allows us to resist temptation and addiction, which comes in and says, let me ease that suffering for you. Say, no, I don't need a crutch. I don't need a coat. Because my eyes, my heart are full with a gaze into God. Embracing suffering gives us credibility to a watching world for a witness. I am blown away from those in my life, in this church, in my family, my friends, who can go through suffering and keep their eyes fixed on God. They earn my respect. And they inspire me to be more like them. It's one thing for the coach of a ball team to tell everyone to, clean up the locker room and get to practice at 6 a.m. It's another when the guy in the team with a broken leg <laughs> is cleaning up the locker room and telling you, hey, let's get there at 6 a.m. There's tremendous leadership in those that are suffering that say, keep going, team. <laughs> I love hearing those voices from the middle, from behind. Say, keep going. I respect that a lot. God uses that in ministry. I think that got Saul's respect when he went through what he went through. And another aspect of suffering we'd miss out on is that it matures us. It prunes us. I forget the reference, but there's many scriptures that mentioned how 
suffering, trials, tribulations, they deepen us, they strengthen us, and they produce steadfastness and hope. So let's be tough sailors like Stephen. So, our last slide, again, our favorite picture. <laughs> Let's not be a church that runs away in fear. Let's be a church that claims our union with Christ Jesus, the suffering servant. Let's be emboldened and encouraged from our new friend Stephen today. And so here's, here's my application for us today. I want you to pick an area of suffering in your life. It could be past. could be present. Or maybe it's just a fear. Maybe it's not happened yet, but in the back of your mind, you're like anticipating it. Whatever that is, I want you to latch on to that. Figure out how you can give thanks this Thanksgiving week in that situation. Because our Thanksgiving is not circumstantially, it is positionally. That we are aligned next to Christ Jesus, a sovereign God, who is knitting all things together for our good. And if it, you might need to slow down a bit this afternoon. For me, I was driving on a road trip and when it just hit me that there was some suffering I needed to sort out in my heart with God. But don't run from that. Let it catch up to you. And when it arrives, place it at the foot of the cross of Christ Jesus and see what Jesus has to say about that. I think you'll hear things such as my blood's covered that already. I paid for that. You'd hear him say you can do this. I'm going to be right with you to help you get through it. I think you'd hear him say you have no idea how I'm going to use that to send ripples and waves through this world because people are watching your life. I don't know if Stephen knew the impact he had, but he had an impact. We can give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. God, as I share these words, I, I don't dismiss the, the pain or the reality of brokenness in this world. It hurts, and it breaks your heart, and it breaks mine. We are to be there for one another with empathy and to mourn with those who mourn. But at the same time, you stepped into that reality. You died on a cross. 
and you rose again to prove that there is hope and that there is a redemptive thread present in our suffering. Lord, let us see that thread. Let us trust that. Give grace to your people for those here with a broken heart. Lift them to thanksgiving. Lord, I think of the Psalms. Let them wash over us. That no matter where we start a psalm and all the different feelings, it often ends realizing our position next to a sovereign God. And to that we give you thanks. Lord, fill us. Fill us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.